This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. I guess if you're still looking for a sukkah or a little of an etrog, um, <clears throat> maybe you left it just a little late. We are uh, already in the throes of Sukkot, of course, today being the first day of what is known as Chol HaMoed Sukkot. So I want to wish everybody a good moed. I want to wish everybody a... Uh, good gebench teyor, and I would like to wish everybody also a good yomtif, because um, we are in the midst of this beautiful chag called Sukkot, Zman Simchatenu. And perhaps to reflect back a little bit before we reflect forward, um, it's hard to kind of digest just how quickly things happen, especially here up front at the beginning of the year when we have all of these uh, festive occasions and all of these wonderful things happening with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot and Shemini Atzeret, Simchat Torah and Shabbat Breshit and all these wonderful things it kind of takes your breath away and it certainly takes your time away. It certainly uh, makes things happen very, very quickly. I mean, if you just think about, as I was thinking sitting down here today, why didn't I do a radio show last week? Well, a week ago today was Yom Kippur. One week ago, at about this time, you were probably edging closer if you hadn't already just completed Musaf, the additional service on Yom Kippur. And it's hard to imagine that that was already a full week ago. That was last week, Wednesday, that we were um, fasting, that it was Yom Kippur. It seems like it was just yesterday, and certainly if uh, longer than that, just the day before that, certainly not a week ago. And uh, time really does fly um, certainly when you're having all the fun of um, all our chagim, of all our festive occasions. So let's reflect back a little bit and think about the fact that we had the very sort of serious part of um, the Tishrei month, which was Rosh Hashanah, followed by the Aseret Yemei Tshuva, followed by Yom Kippur. And um, those 10 days right up front set the tone, of course, as they always do, for a, a brand new year. We have pronounced God as our king. We have accepted his uh, dominion. We've accepted his kingship. We've asked him to be our king. We've um, told him we're going to adhere to everything that he, that he wants and requires from us. We're showing him by our attitude and by our action, that we're back in the game, that we're back um, having done tshuva, that we have returned. And um, then in the build-up to Yom Kippur, of course, we ask him for forgiveness for all of our sins, and we want the sins to be um, atoned for, and we want to be able to have um, absolute kapara, absolute atonement for everything, not just that they are obliterated from um, the collective or uh, the, the memory bank of the Almighty, but that in fact they are turned into zechuyot, that they are turned into merits, that even the negatives that I have done are turned around and are made positive. And so it's a serious tone, um, not a sad tone, but a serious tone that we have for Rosh Hashanah, and then of course followed 10 days later by Yom Kippur. And then um, there is a great breakout. It is all of a sudden the uh, lid comes off and we are celebrating. It's often been compared, of course, this whole process 
to a marriage. Um, there is the courtship, which could be compared to the month of Elul. There is Rosh Hashanah, which is the time of the betrothal of the uh, engagement, let's call it. There is the engagement period when uh, everybody is uh, preparing for Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, um, the chuppah takes place. And, of course, you know that um, a bride and groom also fast on their wedding day, um, similar to Yom Kippur. And so we do that too. And then there is the final um, part of Yom Kippur, which uh, mimics a wedding celebration or wedding ceremony where finally the couple are placed in what we call the Yehud room. They are in Yehud. It is just um, the two souls kind of melding together, coming together for the very first time in this most unique fashion at the end of the wedding ceremony. And that could be compared, of course, to Ne'ilah. And then, of course, the trumpets sound and uh, the band breaks out in music. And then there's the wedding celebration. And how long is the wedding celebration? Of course, it lasts for a full week. There is what we call Sheva Brachot, the Sheva Brachot that takes place um, for the week. And that could be compared to the sitting in the sukkah where we just sit and we um, uh, meld together as a family and friends and so on. We eat and we drink and we're happy and um, and, uh, and 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 all of that kind of a, a headspace. But if we think about it, you know, we are a strange people, and uh, the Jewish people, of course. Um, um, are not known to be absolute conformists and not known to be exactly um, in the box, as they would say. We like to do things and we like to be a bit maverick and a little bit different, a little bit unusual in some of our behaviors. Well, here's one of them that is always a bit startling. You know, we really go full t- tilt at the serious stuff when it comes to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And then when it comes to Sukkot, there seems to be a taking the foot off the pedal in a way. Of course, yes, it's school holidays. And of course, many people like to go away during this period of time and that's wonderful but the idea of um, the festive occasion of Sukkot um, it is quite surprising actually that our people um, and it's a an international problem, and it's been around for a long, long time, um, that people identify or seem to identify a little bit better with the more serious part than what you would imagine. The fun, the joy, the um, uh, the uh, the enjoyment part, the Zman Simchatenu, um, seems to kind of taper off in many people's minds. Of course, um, I was just comparing notes this morning with a colleague of mine from uh, many, many years ago that um, – if we think about, we think back to what this community in Johannesburg, in South Africa in general, was like pertaining to a festival like Sukkot, going back to our youth, for instance. I think that many will agree with me that in those days, um, every shul, most of the shuls would buy a few lulavim and etrogim, and they would have them at the back of the shul. And those were there for the community members to come and to utilize, and people would come and borrow the lulav and etrog to make the bracha. Um, to perhaps walk around the bima for uh, the Hoshanas. And even then, I remember clearly in the old days, it was two or three people who were doing the encircling of the bima. Well, you go around today in Johannesburg, and um, first of all, as you even heard by the ad that um, we thought about or we spoke about right at the beginning, um, people have lulavim and etrogim they buy. <laughs> The sets and um, people use them, and there are so many more 
Lulavim and Esrogim around town today, um, much more than there ever were before. It is something that is so beautiful, so wonderful, and so praiseworthy, so incredible. Um, at the if, if we, we we can only stand back in awe and marvel at the proliferation, the growth uh, within the Yiddishkeit, within the Judaism um, that is being kept and is being observed and is being practiced and being enjoyed um, throughout our beautiful community. And then, of course, sukkahs in. Uh, the old days, and I think about the old days being in my youth, and it's not that long ago, I'm not that old, but in those days, um, one or two people had sukkahs in town, very, very few. Um, I can remember clearly in a town where I grew up that um, the first night, Kiddush, there were many people who would clamber to make Kiddush in the sukkah um, that was provided by the shul because they didn't have sukkahs at home. It was kind of unheard of. It was sort of the rabbi and one or two uh, frumis in town who would uh, put up a sukkah in their own home. Nobody had. And today, the proliferation of sukkahs and kolakavod to those who have made them um, so readily available, have encouraged um, people to build those sukkahs and put them in their homes. And, of course, to, as we said, enjoy, beautify, and magnify this incredibly powerful and beautiful chag. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. So what is Sukkot? really all about. What is this festival all about that we talk about as being Zman Simchatenu, the festival of our joy? What is the symbol of it? Perhaps if we start unpacking and thinking about the fact that we've just come out of this serious period of time with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we've made all sorts of wonderful decisions. We also need to remember that we've got to serve Hashem with joy. We've got to serve Hashem with joy all the time, and it needs to be something that is integrated into our daily living all the time. And therefore, we possibly need to look at this festival of Sukkot for some very, very clear and definite pointers as to how we can attain true simcha. How can we attain true true joy? So you'll probably think, okay, um, and you'll be right. That um, joy is brought about by being together. So a family sitting together in the sukkah uh, brings everybody together. But I think that you will agree with me that we could probably be just as joyous if we were inside. Um, why Dafka? What is this festival of Sukkot really all about? And perhaps let's take some clues from the sukkah itself to um, really think about where Joy comes from. Where does true happiness come from? Is happiness something that is created by wealth? Is happiness something that is created by fame and good fortune? Is happiness something that is created by great ability? Well, I think that if we focus a little bit more on the sukkah and what it represents and this festival of simcha, that we will start to think those things through all over again. Let's perhaps think about the real idea as to why it is that we sit in the sukkah. What are we told? Well, we're sitting in the sukkah because these were the booths similar to what we lived in when we got out of Egypt. Great. Every child, I suppose, at school learns that, and it's something very relevant, and it's something that we can relate to. We take it a little bit further. We understand that these booths or this sukkah actually represents the clouds of glory that ushered us out of Egypt. Now, this is going 
much further. This is not talking about little booths, shacks that we perhaps erected on the road to Israel through the desert in those 40 years that we dwelt there, but rather Hashem's protection of us. Hashem protected us in the most incredible fashion with clouds of glory. The clouds of glory not only saw to it that our every uh, protection that was necessary was uh, put into place, but it was really something that um, comforted us. It cotton-wooled us on all sides, whether it was the attacks that we were going to undergo from um, different marauding, ravaging nations, or whether it was from um, snakes and scorpions and all the things um, that were found in the desert, or whether it was from the elements. These clouds of glory acted as the most incredible protectors of the Jewish people as we were ushered out of Egypt. And similarly, we are protected by the sukkah, or it's symbolic of the protection that Hashem gives us at all times. And so therefore, point number one perhaps on our agenda of how to acquire or how to attain or how to keep happy is to remember at all times that Hashem is with you. Hashem is protecting you. God is with you. He protects you. And um, yes, we're uh, not fatalists and we're not going to uh, take uh, wild and crazy chances, but God is with us. God protects us. God makes sure that we are either successful or seemingly not successful in a certain realm, but uh, successful in our lives and that we do things properly and well and Hashem protects us from various different pitfalls. We don't always see it. We can't always grasp it. We sometimes think we're getting the wrong end of the stick or the raw end of the deal. But in fact, Hashem's clouds of glory surround us similar to the clouds of glory that have surrounded us or that surrounded us as we got out of Egypt. And so point number one is remember that God is with you. Number two. If we think about it, we have a complete attitude adjustment when it comes to Sukkot. We have to, in fact, according to Jewish law, we're supposed to make everything that is temporary permanent and everything that is permanent temporary in a way. There is kind of a switch around. We um, are taking things that are temporary, a temporary structure, and we're doing all the things there, making that our permanent abode. So, for instance, I mean, obviously, we take the sukkah. It is a temporary structure. It's not something that we always have. It's not something that we always eat in. It's not something that we always live in, dwell in, spend time in. And yet here we go outside and we make that our more permanent um, um, place of dwelling. And the things that were permanent have been now become temporary. We um, do not utilize our dining room. We do not utilize our uh, breakfast nook, our eating spaces. We do all of that in the sukkah. We do not utilize our living spaces as much as we um, ordinarily would or do. Um, we spend much more time in the sukkah, in fact, um, with the beautiful weather that we're having here in Joburg. Maybe a little bit too hot. But um, it is um, incredible sukkah's weather this year, and so we certainly cannot complain, and I don't know about you, but we spent an inordinate amount of time in our sukkah over the, uh, f the first few days already of Sukkot because it is so pleasant, it's so beautiful and wonderful to be in that space. But we're spending time in a more temporary structure. We're spending time under the schach, under the palm leaves, whatever it is that you use as schach, we're spending time in that kind of an environment outside, outdoors, a little bit more exposed to the elements, a little bit more vulnerable perhaps from that point of view, but um, happy 
and glad nonetheless. So what is it? There's this attitude adjustment, this adjustment of um, our um, loyalties and this adjustment of our um, thinking of what is important in life. We are actually switching from the things that we regarded as being all important and realizing that they're not as important in our happiness as a lot of other stuff that we don't always look to 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 make ourselves happy. So we think about um, the luxuries of uh, indoor living, the luxuries of our house, of our home, the luxury of uh, beautiful plush carpets, of wonderful uh, dining room suite, of um, beautiful um, air conditioning, of a wonderful, beautiful environment that you may have within your home. And we go to great expense to beautify and to magnify and glorify our homes. And we've got all of that. And yet now we say, well, you know what? That's not that important. For this whole week, I'm going to go into a little booth, a shack that is made sometimes, not always, doesn't have to be made of makeshift walls. It's certainly got a makeshift roof, which is made of leaves of uh, some Something that is uh, once grew and now is cut off, and uh, that we call the schach, and we um, go into the space, and that's where we dwell, and that's where we eat, and that's where we create our happiness. What we're actually saying is, these things that we have regarded up until now as being perhaps a little less important for my happiness, I'm now making them into everything. They are my permanent dwelling place. This is where I'm going to be, and so we have taken what we often regard as being um, less important, and we're flipping it over and saying, no, when we think about it, that is much more important. And so our attitude adjustment is um, of paramount importance during this hug and during our lives and during our year. And we have said this straight after Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. You know what? I want to gain happiness. I want to have that happiness. I want to be involved in a happy frame of mind. You know what I need to do? Aside from the fact that I need to recognize that Hashem is with me at all times, I also need to recognize that there are a lot of things that I regard or that the world out there regards as being of paramount importance for my happiness, not necessarily true. Not necessarily true that gold and diamonds and wealth and uh, beautiful um, plush carpeting and uh, all the other trimmings and, and trappings that go with it are going to buy me or going to gain me happiness. It is very often some of the much simpler things in life that uh, will gain me that happiness. When I can gaze at the stars and I can realize um, in the night sky the um, incredible vastness of the universe that God created for me, when I can look at the leaves that um, grew on the trees, when I can think about the important things that are within my sukkah, within that space, my family, my spouse, my friends, um, children, grandchildren, all of those who've come to join me, these are the important things in life. These are the important things that will gain me, that will get me that happiness. And if we have that attitude adjustment, as with the depermanentizing, if there is such a word, of the things that we've regarded as being of paramount importance and um, making the things that we have overlooked, that we haven't always regarded as being that important, the simpler things in life, making them more important, well, that is another method of gaining this simcha, this man simcha tenu that we have now during the festival of Sukkot. And then when we think about it and we go a little bit further, we think about the fact that the sukkah comprises of the main element being the schach, which is the leaves or branches that you have put on the roof of your sukkah. 
And um, then, of course, a sukkah is not kosher unless it has walls. Now, how many walls does a sukkah need? Well, a sukkah needs to have either four or three or two and a bit walls. And we actually learn it from the three main letters of the word sukkah, the samach, is a closed letter. It's closed on all sides, like a four-walled um, um, structure. The chaf is closed on three sides, and the hay is two sides and another little piece. And um, therefore, when we've got a sukkah, we need to have those walls as well as the schach. Now, when we think about the schach, when we think about the roofing of our sukkah. This is something that is rather spiritual. While it has got a very, very physical feel and look to it, it is rather spiritual. In fact, we're told by our sages that it actually has a great and dynamic link with the sounds of the shofar that are sounded on Rosh Hashanah. You know, if you think about it, on on Rosh Hashanah we sound the shofar, and we are told that we should hear 100 blasts of the shofar. That comprises of... Um, three different types of sounds. We spoke about that a couple of weeks ago when we spoke about Rosh Hashanah. Um, two, three different types of sounds. There is the straight sound that we call a tkia. There is the three-way broken sound that we call shvarim. And there is the um, a staccato little dotted sound um, that is lengthened that is called the trua. In fact, if we th- go through the entire um uh, prayer service and we look at the number of blasts that we have well it works at a at a rate of 60 to 20 to 20 there are 60 um tikias versus uh, 20 truas and 20 shvarim and so that makes up the 100 blasts now interestingly enough the word that a lot of people bat- battle with this word schach a lot of people mispronounce it and they give it a shin in the front a sh sound it's not sh it's actually a samach samach schach is a samach which is 60 chaf 20 and chaf 20 the word schach has the same structure as the sounds of the shofar. Now, why? Because the same way as we understand that the sounds of the shofar can penetrate the heavens and carry our prayers heavenward, so the schach, in a happier frame of mind, in a happier way, um, encompasses and incorporates and carries forward all the beautiful things that we hope and pray for uh, for the coming year. We can do that just by having the schach over our heads in the sukkah. And we'll get back to the walls in... Just a moment. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Hi and welcome back. We've been chatting about the various messages of the sukkah and how it brings about simcha. How do we get the simcha? How do we make this zman simcha tenu and perhaps learning the messages just from the sukkah itself? So we had uh, the idea of uh, Hashem's protection. We had the idea of um, taking a look at the things that we have regarded sometimes as insignificant and realigning our thoughts and readjusting our mindset to say that um, what is of a permanent nature in our minds is perhaps not what is going to get us the happiness. Sometimes the things that we regard as being less maybe a bit more flimsy in our minds, and those are the real things that buy us or that get us, gain us that happiness. And then we were speaking about the fact that the schach itself has got a great spirituality attached to it, but the schach is not good enough by itself. It's got to be on top of a structure, and that structure we call the sukkah, and the sukkah has to have, as we said, either four 
or three or two and a bit walls. It's got to have walls. If it has no walls, whether they are of a permanent nature, whether they are of a, um, a non-permanent nature, they've got to be those walls. And what does that mean? Well, perhaps it's the idea that we've come out of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur when we were very much caught up and very much involved in a great and wonderful spiritual environment. And now we walk out into the world, and the walk out into the world is how do we actually react to the world, and how are we going to react to the world during this coming year? And each year we go through the same directive and the same motions and the same experience, and that is that we come out of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and we go out into the world, but we've got to remember that there are limits. We've got to remember that we are limited. We are walled in. Now, that doesn't mean that we go out into the world with blinkers on. It doesn't mean that we don't interact with the world. On the contrary, it means we need to interact with the world. We are told, go out outside of your safe havens. Go out into the world. We need to react with the world. We need to interact with the world. We need to have a relationship with the world. But there have got to be limits. We cannot allow the world to um, (coughs) obsess us. And when we talk about the world... We talk about all the attractions and distractions that are out there in the world, the things that sometimes take us away from those things that we should be regarding as permanent as and, and as, as important in our lives. We think about the idea of work and business and money and making money um, and so on absolutely obsessing us and occupying every um, fiber of our being and in inviting us and enticing us to get involved in that kind of an environment, we've got to remember, no, we can get involved, but there've got to be limits. We've got to be able to cut off and say, no, now I need to go and I need to pray. I need to spend some time davening shachrit or mincha or mairev. I need to stop because I need to have a shir. I need to learn some Torah. I need to have a boundary. I need to have a wall. And the wall that I need to have says, comes Friday afternoon, I'm going to take a break and I'm going to have a beautiful Shabbat. And I'm not going to look at or answer my uh, cell phone or my emails or turn on my television or do any of those things. I'm going to spend time involved in more in a in a more wholesome spiritual kind of an environment and something that's going to benefit my family and going to benefit me in the the most incredible fashion as well and ultimately therefore benefit the entire world and therefore what we're saying when we come into the sukkah is that we understand and we know and the motion is of getting out there into the world but there have to be the limitations there have to be the limits we have to be able to place the boundaries um in the correct places to make sure and ensure that our experience with this world is not one whereby the world consumes us and uh, the material things of the world out there um, completely um, take us over and completely, completely swamp us in such a fashion that we no longer have a feeling or an affinity for anything that is of a spiritual nature or anything that is of a, a Kedusha, holy nature. This is perhaps one of the ideas that is conveyed by the walls of the sukkah. Of course, there's a very beautiful idea of the walls of the sukkah being Hashem's arms around us. It is like God's hug. God is hugging the people and all of us as we come to this hug, as we come into this festival. And the idea of God's hug, you know, when you hug somebody, you can embrace them entirely. You can completely put your arms right around them like the four walls of the sukkah. You could put the, your arm around a person in a threefold fashion or you could have, if you take a look at your own arm, your own arm is made up of two 
major parts, which is the part from the elbow up to the shoulder, and then the part from the shoulder from the elbow down to the wrist. Those are two parts, and then you've got a small hand um, that's on the end. That is two and a bit walls. If we think about that, well, what are we talking about with the sukkah is God's embrace. God embraces us. And if that doesn't make you happy, then I don't know what will. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. So we're talking about Zman Simchatenu, the festival of our Simcha. And as we go through this festival and we think about all the things that uh, will make us and should make us happy in uh, this festival as well as throughout the year, we head towards the latter part of the festival. Now we've got coming up um, this week, we've got... This is our first day today of Chol HaMoed. It is the intermediate days or the, um, let's call them slightly less Yom Tov days of the uh, festival. We still use the Lulav and Etrog. We still sit in the Sukkah, but we're not um, keeping these days. So we don't keep these days as an actual um, day of no work and so on, um, um, although it is preferable not to uh, do too much work during this time, spend time with the children, the family, etc., um, we um, are heading towards Shabbat Chol HaMoed, which comes up on this Shabbos. It is a Shabbos that is impacted upon it. It is impacted upon by um, Shabbat as well as about Sukkot itself. So it's Shabbat and Chol HaMoed. And so a special Shabbos coming up as well as then following on after that from Sunday night, Monday, Monday night and Tuesday is the beautiful festive occasion of Shmini Atzeret and Simchat Torah. Shmini Atzeret and Simchat Torah is actually a new festival. It's not Sukkot, and you'll see that therefore we refer to it as Shmini Atzeret. In the prayers and the davening, it is not referred to anymore as Sukkot. And um, those days um, really represent something very, very beautiful as well, which adds to and is um, something that has to do with Zman Simchatenu as well. We still refer to it as Zman Simchatenu, the festival of our joy, of our happiness. And perhaps it's because of this. We're told that um, the Almighty, like a father with his children, has spent the most wonderful three weeks together with his kids. The family has come for Yom Tov and everybody's gotten together and everybody's spent a lot of time together. We've been together for Rosh Hashanah. We've been together for Yom Kippur. We've been together in the Sukkah. We've had the most fantastic time as a family. And now it comes time for the family to up and leave. They need to go back overseas. They need to go back to uh, where they uh, um, abide throughout the year and um, they're about to leave. And then Shmini Atzeret and Simchat Torah comes along. It is a time, yes, when we re uh, start reading the Torah once again. It is very festive and very joyous, very basimcha, very happy um, occasion. But it's also the time of um, the fond farewells, goodbyes, which are really one last dance, one last hug. You know, um, parents just before they say goodbye to their kids, there's like this uh, emotional hug and kiss and sort of uh, dance rocking to and fro sometimes where people are holding on to each other. And in fact, is that not what Hashem, what God does with us on Shmini Atzeret and Simchat Torah, holding on to us with one last dance, with a dance of joy, of happiness, and how good it is just to be your child, just to be your father, just to be together with you, just to have this time of unity, joy, and happiness. And that's 
the period of time that we are about to herald, that we're about to go into. And so we hope that the simcha, the joy, is something that not only affects you and infects you during this coming next few days, but that it's something that will leave a permanent impression of simcha, of joy, of happiness, a fundamental change in our mindset throughout this coming year. And please, God, we should have a year that is impacted so much by simcha, by joy, that it is the happiest year of your life, that it's the happiest year of our lives, that it is something that is really uplifting and beautiful for our people all over the world, for the land of Israel, for Israel itself, for the people there, for all our brethren everywhere, and particularly for each and every one of you, that we should be blessed with a year of simcha, a year of joy, in uh, remembrance of and having been affected by the Zman Simchatenu that hopefully will exceed all others um, during this week and in the coming few days. I want to wish you a great Shabbat up ahead, great Yom Tov up ahead, a good Yom Tov, a Chag Sameach to each and every one of you. And we look forward to being back with you um, next week, same time, same place on Judaism 101.9.